Welcome back to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger here with my co-hosts Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And joining us to discuss this wonderful album today is Jonathan Kennedy of Death Pile, Dead World, Urge Within, Blunt Force Trauma, his own solo Hollow work. Earth. Hollow Earth. Oh man, how could I forget Hell Hollow yeah. Earth? Angel of Decay. Angel of Decay. Hell yeah. yeah. So so many projects people don't give a shit about. It's amazing. I, well, you got three people. You got three true. people here who give. You get three a lot of shits, shits right here. Yeah, there's. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's all it's all been worth it then. Yeah. <laughs> Since it's uh been you know had had a little more time on my hands with the uh, quarantine isolation vibes, I've been going through old hard drives and found photos of the time we met, Jonathan, uh, the first time we met, which was. Uh, 2003 in Chicago for the Brother right. Death Now Slogan Project Hat show. <laughs> I re- I, rem- I distinctly remember that because it was the slogan didn't understand the Detroit uh, show vibes, and you you guys you just were on de- like Chris from Sickness like freaked out and started attacking you guys because you were <laughs> he didn't realize you were having fun. That was that was yeah. that was intense. That was that's how you say hi. Intense. You bump into each other. You gotta bump into each other a little. And I totally busted slogan's balls about that too because i was like you can either fight or you can hug but you can't do both and he got so mad at me and he he brings it up still were you were you playing in slogan that night or were you just there for the show i did that they did remember gray they did the thing where it was like everybody who was even remotely in a band had a microphone oh yeah slogan at the beginning and and i i got bored and just kind of hung out off to the side after the beginning of it. But, uh, or Roger Carmanic was like, that was the most fucking incredible thing I've ever seen. <laughs> so it every was worth it, I guess. photo I have of Roger from that, he's grabbing his crotch. Every single photo he's of got course. his hand on his dick. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a, that was a, that was a good show. Yeah, I, it really my was. favorite moment was he, uh, he grabbed a guy's drink from the front, um, of the stage, like right out of his hand and poured it on his head, poured it on the the kid's head. And the kid was like, yeah, like so psyched about it. <laughs> Rock and roll. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Well, you know, we talked to Jonathan a bit for the grunt splatter episode we did recently. And in the process of doing that, and actually, honestly, a little bit before that, Jonathan had suggested discussing information overload unit by the group SPK. Yep. So that's why we're all here today uh we were all gleeful you guys had just started and i said don't bother asking me about doing a death pile one but i want to do information overload unit yes you you did (laughs) though we did though you were very cool and did uh contribute information for our nay plus ultra episode yeah Uh, yeah thanks for for doing that thank you you thank you for doing that album yeah no Uh, it's funny because i listened to it again for the first time in ages and i was like oh yeah this doesn't suck and it I usually does hate not, does not suck. <laughs> Verdict. Do you? Do suck. you? Is that something like? I mean, I cannot listen to old stuff. It it drives me insane. Are you you really can't really get into the old stuff. You don't enjoy listening to your old stuff. Um, it depends. For the most part, no. Like I, I I don't. Um, I was. It's funny because I remember when I recorded uh, "Covered in Scars," I was like. This is something I can listen to, and fucking no way I can't because I'm sitting. You know, you, like you guys, like you guys probably yeah. do. You sit there and go like, "Oh, I should have done this different." And you why yeah. do hear that everything. That yeah. Yep, you hear everything you wish you would have done. It's it's a nightmare. So pretty I, much when you put it out, it's done. Yeah, yeah. My new record's at the plant right now, and when I listen to it or think about it, there's a hundred things I would change. Like it happens that fast sometimes, where it's like 
oh, that's that's final. Now I I just <laughs> would do so would do it like completely differently. Before we get into information overload unit, we of course discuss a little recent listening. Gray, what have you been listening to? You know, not uh, not a lot of variety in my listening this time. I've been uh, working on a lot of stuff. So really, it's been SPK getting ready for this episode and just kind of soaking in, which I know is, is the same for you guys. And I, I, if you follow me on Twitter or Noise Extra, you've probably seen some retweets from Pain Jerk Racked and Ruined. Uh, oh. He has a band camp going and he's posting stuff like daily right now old tapes from the 90s live sets from the 2000s unreleased albums like man he is going through the archives and it rules there is so yes. much good stuff on there right now just just nasty nasty noise so i've been i've been grabbing a bunch of of his uh digital stuff and, and listening to it and uh that's really been about it for me that's honestly, that's been about it for us it's too. It's the same we've, for us. We, we can't stop listening. We've been diving into the pain, pain jerk, jerk. Band camp. Yeah. So much amazing stuff. I'm sure it's going to keep, I'm sure once this episode comes out, he'll already put out, put up like 10 or 20 more things. Uh, and then yeah, SPK and pretty much the entirety of SPK going from the early singles yeah. to the synth pop to the, you know, kind of more dead can dance soundtracky sounding stuff. And guess who loves the synth pop? Us. Me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I listen to way more synth pop than I listen to noise. That's for sure. Yeah, it's that, so that, fun. That Machine Age Voodoo is such an amazing <gasps> album. Just like driving around listening yeah, to it, yeah. it's great. Uh, and especially on the empty streets, it's perfect. Hell yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah totally. It's, it's this dystopian great. world we live yeah, in. SBK yeah. is a perfect it's soundtrack like for Italy it. Italy post-apocalyptic pop. Hell yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that pretty much kind of the same thing. It's been SPK and Pain Jerk uh, since we last mm. talked. How about you, Jonathan? Anything else besides SPK you've been uh, listening to? No, I, I'm bad about new music. Um, I've been, just been focusing on watching movies for my website that I started. Um, and almost well, ooh, but, what's but, that? Uh, what movies have you been watching? I watched a good one last night that um, didn't get a very good rating on, uh, on the IMDb, but... Um, it's called, uh, called The Decline. It's on uh, Netflix about a, uh, a French-Canadian survivalist compound where bad shit happens. And it's like an, a, a fiction, like thriller. It's good. Good flick. What's I'm going to do a website? little recommendation. Um, it's called Anomalous Cinema, anomalouscinema.com. And I just, I recommend stuff that's streaming on uh, Amazon Prime, Netflix, and Hulu. Oh, nice. Awesome. Accessible. Awesome. We'll, we'll put a link up uh, on the page for sure. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. that's in my focus. Other than that, like I, I like the new Swans album a lot. Cool. Awesome. We were hopefully going to see them. Uh, yeah, I know. Not, we, I guess, not, right? Not yeah, yeah, happen, we had huh? our tickets and everything. And <laughs> yeah. Oops. Yeah, a lot, lot of that. Lot of. But hey, leads us right into SPK Information Overload Unit. Yeah. What an album. What an album. It's I mean, pretty and, good. And, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And like Jonathan said, I mean, this was obviously this is on our very first when we kind of made a list of of, you know, albums we wanted to cover. And your name was next to it from day one. We always knew we we're going to save it for you. Um, so now's a great time to do it. And here wow. we are. Cool. I it, it had been a minute since mm -hmm. since we had revisited this. We have the 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 mute CD, you know, the 90s CD issue of it. And man, wow. I can't remember the it last time. It sounds better than ever. 
Yeah, I um, I had I've had the mute CD for years. Actually, I, I bought that used in Boulder, Colorado, of all places. Like, how did that happen? Right. Back in the '90s, when it came out, somebody got a promo of it and sold it like an idiot. And um, and then when I moved here to Portland, I found the uh, first normal pressing on vinyl. And the what? guy had, oh, cool. yeah, the, the record stores here. Well, what, what of them will be left after this, um, Corona apocalypse, uh, uh are insane. And like this guy had two copies. It's like, oh, wow. the, yeah, I mean, it's fucking nuts. How? And so that's crazy. I hadn't ever listened to it on a proper stereo. And I, I, um, finally had a good record player set up and, um, I have a uh, subwoofer surround sound like inexpensive, but, but good sounding setup. And I was shocked at how good the production sounds, considering they recorded it in 7980. It's like, it sounds so fucking good. Jonathan, I got my copy of that this record, the normal pressing in Portland in 2004 at a record store. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was that, on my first tour. Sense. And they, it was like on the wall. Or they, I was dead broke that far into tour, and they had uh, Leg and Try, Information Overload Unit, and uh, uh, Bread or Death Now interwar LP on the wall. And I spent the last of my, my money for tour buying those Smart. records. Cause I'd never send them anywhere. That sounds like exiled records. Uh, it was a place called crossroads. I think that it was, oh, yeah, uh, that's where I got, that's where I got my information. <laughs> over wow. yeah. How does this happen? <laughs> the, crazy is the, the guy that's the guy that runs that section. Wow. It's like you just, you look and it's all the best metal, all the best punk, hardcore, uh, post-punk, you name it, the guy has like the best taste and, and like in, in, um, you know, root industrial and, and good experimental music too. It's like crazy. Wow, we bought our copies six, six, six at the same nice. store. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Hey, great. Would that have been That's when wild. you were playing the show with grunt splatter in Portland? Would that have been the same tour? Yes, it was That's cool. <laughs> Very cool. The last grunt splatter show. Yeah. Synchronicity. The most this recent so cool. Grunt Splatter show. Or, or that's what I mean. Like, yeah. Right, right, right. 2004. 2004, okay. But wow, Feels like this a really long time ago. This album starts so just that noise cry. And it's just like, I love the way this starts. Yeah, it's funny. The first, the first thought that jumped into my head when this started was ask them, because you guys now are like, you know, sort of historians for this stuff. Is there an album that was recorded before this that starts so like harsh? I don't think so because would second in your reports before this, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't start, but it doesn't, it's not this. Mm -hmm. Right. No, this is this like just miserable EMS synth grown, like white noise thing. It starts with is, I, I'm so accustomed to it because it's how the records start. Like this is when you put this on, you know what you're listening to because it sounds like that. And I I actually can't think of anything earlier than that, especially not of like this early industrial ilk that has that same aggressive misery to it that this does. Yeah, I'm not a big non guy, but I was maybe like there's a non record that starts so like cutting, but I, I don't I don't remember hearing there's like something it. there's something like mean and negative and just immediate the way this starts. And I think it is very unique in that um 
Yeah, it's it's alienating just right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's like, like either- look, this is what you're getting. I want you to understand the tone that you're gonna get. This is not pop music. This is this. Yeah. And I think that that you know, it sounds like even from interviews, that was the goal was to just say like, nope, this is the tone. And, and then that weird like muted drum machine. Yeah. That, like tries to come through. Like it's like it's so weird the way it sounds. I always assume it's a like an organ drum machine or something. It sounds cheap and not very programmable. It's just like what they what they had. You know, one of those just well, like when, rhythm box with 40 rhythms on it, and that's what you get. And he was saying that he had just gotten the synth um, at the time that he was working in. The EMS. The, yeah. yeah. And so um, he hinted that maybe the, the guy was the, uh, like a, supposed to be a Geiger counter sound on the synth. Like our guy would be like a a fake Geiger counter because he said that, you know, it had sirens and Geiger sounds. And Ooh, so, is, that, is that the is that the name of the setting? Yeah. yeah. So Emanation Machine, our guy, 1916 is the name of the first track. Um, and I was looking up to see if our guy or, or G, however you would say it, is a person. And I, I couldn't find any relationship for a person. I, I, would, got, uh, I got you. I got oh, you it. do. Yes. Nice. Awesome. Go for it. Yeah, okay, please. So that's. um. All right. So what it is, is that the drawing that's on one version of despair, like the one that's like a yellow Mm -hmm. drawing in the corner is, um, art by this guy who was a mental patient, uh, Robert Gee. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right. Yes. Yes. He's like art brute. It's like, yes. Yeah. So, So I looked it up and, um, the, the, uh, Museum of Art Brut in Switzerland has several pieces by this guy. I think they maybe have the only, uh, they're the only people that have his work, but I can, Mm -hmm. um, we could, I don't know. It's up to you guys. I could read this really quick or you could link to it. No, please do. Please read it. This is fascinating. You rule. I am so thrilled. Okay. What, what I find interesting too is I was kind of obsessed by this drawing. I actually like stole ideas from it for some of my own work. And, um, so it's, all of Guy's work is untitled. So what I find interesting is that they came up with that fucking amazing emanation machine because it describes what they're, you're seeing in the, in the, um, in the drawings. It's like people's mouths are, are like, there's like lines coming out of their mouths and going into other people's bodies, mouths, ears, whatever. So just, wow. that's a really, that's a really, um, interesting you know, way to express his work that was actually untitled. But anyway, the biography of him, it's really short on, uh, on the, um, art brute museums website says Robert Gee, and it always has a period after it. So I don't know if that is an abbreviation for anonymity purposes or not, but anyway, Robert Gee is a carpenter before he is hospitalized in a psychiatric institution at Roseg from 1908 to 1922 due to hallucinatory disorders. From 1916 on, becoming increasingly reclusive, he devotes himself feverishly to drawing on walls or on bits of paper he manages to salvage. His drawings are character <clears throat> his drawings are characterized by complex networks of cables that penetrate the figures crossing them through them and extending into others. In all probability, this motif should be viewed in the context of the tactile hallucinations he suffered. Wow. Wow. That is wild. And you said in Switzerland? Was he Swiss? Yes. Born 1869 to question mark Switzerland. (laughs) 
Wow. wow. I only ask because it's in the middle of like World War One. So like also that time is just intense. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Of course, obviously, Graham Ravel, at the time that SPK started, was working in a mental hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the the other one of the other members of SPK early on was also working there, and it was also stated that he, he was also a patient there as well at at, at times. Uh, Nihil Nihil um, is was his name in the band who ended up committing suicide. Um, but obviously, the working in the mental hospital dealing with this kind of stuff, his deep interest in the art brute um, stuff, it translates directly to the the records. And the Socialist Patients Collective, which inspired um, both members of the group, which was like a um, a pro-illness psychiatric patients. Pardon me. (laughs) So uh, it is. So basically their, their entire foundation was that they were pro-illness, pro-psychiatric illness, um, and they were saying that mental disorders are an affliction of capitalism, and so they should be exploited to take down the system. Right, that's one. Of, that's where the original name comes from. Of course, they would mess, they would kind of change what it stands for on different releases yeah. and different things. Um, Sur- so what Surgical is, Penis Clinic. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys know that there's a website that has, like, just tons and tons and tons of writing of the Socialist pa- Patients Collective. It was wild, right? Yeah. I, so there, there's I, I a, there's a website everything. that has like mostly yeah. foreign foreign language stuff, but a lot of translated into English, just like uh, crazy writing. I mean, there's the books too, but I think this website has stuff the guy's written up until more recently, the main guy. So, oh, wow. Yeah. It, it, it was intense, I guess, is a good word for it. But also it had that, that same vibe of... Um, like like oddly cohesive feeling like montage again it, it's people that are on a different mental path absolutely and i mean it starts this album starts on a completely different mental path like completely uh that first track i i just love this first track it just sets the tone so we we, we listen to it and then immediately put on the first track again just to like yeah feel that immediacy again <laughs> We went twice. I wanted, I feel like, like you put on the first track and you're like, where's the electrical tape? I'm going to wrap up my arms. I'm going to wrap up my head. <laughs> I'm going to wrap up my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like, let's go. <laughs> let's go for it. Like immediately. Well, just I can't like help heavy industrial picture them in the despair video with the, you know, the, yeah. you know, the mask and the yeah. gloves. I mean, it's just, I mean, I just picture that when I'm listening to this. I assume everyone's kind of. Same with yeah, that. What's, what's interesting though is that there's a photo of them playing um, at that club Heaven in London, like right around when the time this was recorded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they were they were all they look like Joy Division. They're all wearing like like uh, button down shirts. They have like short hair, and they're um, not oh, wearing wow. any any like they look all like handsome, and they like they could be Joy Division or something. It's crazy. Wow, wow. I guess the the kind of the despair stuff I guess would have been around I guess it would have been the second record when that because they do songs off the second record on that so yeah. I guess I just still picture I still picture feel like that's eighty two for despair yeah okay. yes and that one uh, I mean that's that's essential watching I think for anyone interested in this that video is uh, pretty amazing it got it's it's one of those things it got remastered and put on DVD you know I don't know over a decade ago and it. It's never felt the same watching that DVD as watching a ratty VHS copy a friend dubbed for you. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would still prefer to kind of see it that way just because the 
colors are so muted and blown out through generational dubbing and it just looks it just looks right that way but it's still if you can find it give it give it a watch to see like performances of these pieces and stuff from the second record that's that are really amazing yeah for a long time it was a a vhs rip of it was on youtube i I think even including the most like controversial bits but oh yeah it's still up there yeah and that that's like seriously to to this day is one of the 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 most well you know the the couple of sequences that we're all thinking of are like some of the most extreme shit i have ever seen and i've nothing has ever topped it like well you know i mean jonathan you you used some very very extreme images in 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 a lot of your work especially in the 90s was spk like kind of were they were they kind of one of your first influences in that realm? I'm yeah, I'm pretty sure that because if I'm thinking, you know, looking back on especially TG and SPK, I associate the more extreme imagery more with SPK, and so that must Definitely. be what that must be what I was referencing, especially like blunt force trauma and. Like some of the some of the death pile tape yeah. covers and so on. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. SBK is there's something more. Uh, yeah, there, there is just something more nasty, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's well. They both have the sinister bend, but it's also the sort of lineage of what TG influenced and what SBK influenced. It's a it's a blurry line to think about, but it's definitely there. Like this much more morbid death obsessed mental health obsessed vibe and then the sort of i don't know a sleazy and sometimes fun vibe like i don't ever feel like there's much fun in the early spk stuff tg was having fun no. <laughs> at times you know yeah there's there's no jokes in spk it's not it's not tongue in cheek like it's taken with intensity and all and all seriousness although but think about it there's that the scene in despair where they're in the um they're in the like uh i guess it was where they kept the the body specimens for anatomy classes in a, in a school and they're, yeah. they're, they're playing with corpse parts and it's done in a way that's like the blackest humor ever, but it's still humor. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. Also incredibly, incredibly sinister. Yes. I don't yeah. know if yakety sacks would like make it less. Uh... Oh my God. Sped <laughs> up just a little bit with yakety smack. Oh my God. That would be, somebody's got to do that. Okay, okay, internet, make that Maybe happen. a little boomerang action on there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we, get, we get to the second track, and man, what a crazy delay atmosphere that it's that, that suture obsession starts with. It's actually pretty oh, yeah. high-fi for the time. Like, you've got really nice stereo delay panning going on, a good sense of space on it, and... It, the, everything just sort of crashes and repeats in such a such a strange way. Yeah, one thing I, I forgot to mention is that you'll notice that on the LP, a, side A is ultraface, and side B is right. hyperface. Right. So right. why I don't know, but I just figured it was worth pointing out. There's actually uh, there's an interview with Operator uh, from April 1981 in Talk Talk, and uh, the the question is asked: the sides of information overload unit are the ultra face and the hyper face. What's the difference between ultra and hyper? And he answers: ultra is the manic face, and hyper is the depressive face. I don't like the hyper face. 
The interviewer says, <laughs> wow. you, don't, you don't like it and you did it? The answer, of course. We don't just do anything we like. We do things scientifically. Amazing, right? And, and a lot of and a lot of the best Hell art, yeah. a lot of the best art that exists is like explorations of things that make you uncomfortable. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what all the actionists were doing. It's like they're not like, yay, necessarily. Like, depends on right. the, on the exact yeah. circumstance, but like they're not they're not always um, into it. They're they're pushing their own limits too. Um, what they what they can uh, psychologically right, deal absolutely. with, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think I think some yeah, of that's yeah, been lost I, in today's art or uh, a p- interpretation of art, where uh, everything's sort of taken at face value and reacted to as such, without kind of understanding the uh, the in- possible intentions and explorations people might have behind things. Um, this has this has this is like really really when the dissonance comes in 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 the album it's all these very dissonant like because there is like a bass line and there mm-hmm. is like a drum track but it's it's not it it, it doesn't fit and it doesn't it just kind of keeps it it doesn't feel like it's playing a tune and it, yeah and it kind of yeah. keeps like falling apart or moving in a different way than the other things moving it's not really it's not really working together and and I think it adds to this like agony atmosphere yeah I, I wrote um this and the next song definitely use a novelty porno lp and i i have a couple stories about that topic if you guys have time later mm-hmm. maybe at the end or whatever we definitely have time well it's up to you guys i can talk about it now or we can talk about it at the end i don't care now's now's good too yeah yeah no totally yeah, in context is fine okay my so, favorite time is now um Okay, so I when I was in when I was um, in elementary school, I went over to a friend's house. Uh, this would be in the like mid seventies, late seventies, and he pulled out his his dad's porno record, and it was something. It was like a hospital themed, like I had never I I had never seen a porno before, but the fr- <laughs> so my first exposure to quote unquote real pornography was hearing. People do like a teleplay of pornography <laughs> on a on a record at my friend's house. And I it, didn't know this existed, by the way. No, I oh, didn't yeah. either. This is amazing. Yeah, so there's there's a whole great. You, I'm sure you've run into these being in the record biz. Um, there's there was a lot of them put out in the '60s and especially the '70s. And I remember my reaction to it as a kid was more embarrassment at how cheesy it was, um, as opposed to being aroused. But then. Um, a, a, a lot of years later, um, I, in, in 2012, I did an audio performance at one of the last, um, weird, uh, nights in New York, Peter Schoolworth's weird, uh, records nights. And what I did was I totally took the thing they're doing and TG used to do where you hard pan one set of tapes to one channel and you hard pan different stuff to the other side. So you're getting this kind of mishmash in your head. And what I did was I took a, a pornographic novelty record called The Story of Barbara, which is like one of the nastiest things I've ever heard in my life. Um, and I panned that, you know, hard one way. And then I took an etiquette record that was put out right around the same time and panned it the other way and um, and then played synth underneath it. And that was um, one of the few just audio only performances I've done that was actually intended as an art performance. 
Is there a recording totally, of this? Totally, uh, totally, inspired, totally inspired by TG and SPK, for sure. You have a Heck recording yeah. of this performance? Um, it, there's a there's a video on Vimeo of part of it, and then Peter Schoolworth got an audio recording of it, and I don't know whatever happened to it. I purposefully deleted everything I did in preparation for it so that it only existed as a thing you had to physically be there for. But oh, there, wow. That's great. But there is a recording uh, of it floating out there. And the, the video that's on um, Vimeo is on is linked to my um, CV on my art website. So if you go okay. to the CV, cool. scroll down to mm-hmm. 2012, you can, it'll take you right to the, the video. Very cool. We'll, we'll, of course, put put links up for all that stuff. So that's, I mean, I, again, I, in my mind, it would have just been a, fi- a, a, you know, porn film that this was from. But yeah. what, what makes you, what about the sound of it? Do you think it's the, a record uh, as opposed to a film? Uh, Gray, you could probably answer that just as good I'm, as me. I mean, I think it's, well, specifically with this, I think it's the corniness of it. Although some of those, some of the like older eight millimeter loops and stuff with the, the like with sound uh, tapes with them uh, also sound this sort of corny and overacted, but um, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I mean, I, I didn't specifically think like novelty porn record when I heard it, but it is like bad porn from the era. I mean, I remember some of these records like fax would do them and uh, some of these other companies where you, yeah, just, just listen, listen back to it. At some point, I can't wait. And and when you hear when you hear her talking, it's it's as if a it's a teleplay or a radio play. Okay, the, okay, the, yeah. The, she's saying do this, and she's describing things that would otherwise be represented visually. Oh, okay, and okay. It, to, awesome. it, it reminds me of the record I heard, and also in the in the eighties, you used to be able to call up um, High Society. I think had like eight hundred numbers. You call up. And it was the same exact thing, like people describing, I'm doing this to myself and this is happening and, and, uh, as pornography. So, I wish they had wow. done that on like Cinemax because then it would, wouldn't make a difference if they were scrambled, you know, you could there just you watch go. the scramble. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's true. Just listen. <laughs> this, uh, this tape or this, this track has like, like you said, a really a rhythm that doesn't do anything. There's, there's bass notes going on ends that, that sort of searing guitar weirdness. And there's like a, I, I call it like a carpentry section. There's just some like clatter and some breaking glass going on throughout it. And it all gives it, it's got a really nice sense of space sort of between the things and, and to make the whole track together. Uh, this track is called Suture Obsession and uh, random fact in the early 2000s, my first time ever really getting like a DJ gig was at a place called the labyrinth in Detroit. That's uh, in the basement of Leland city club. And, uh, the first DJ nights I ever did as like a series of anything where we played, we played noise, music, industrial music, power electronics, uh, were, were named suture obsession after this track. Nice. So this, this one, I mean, this whole record is a favorite, but like this, this track definitely sits in. Although I think, I liked it more back then. There's stuff on the record I like a little more now. My tastes have shifted a little bit. The ne- the next track after this, you said you said there's you think there's the similar porn record stuff on the well, second track and the next track when you too? when you hear this this the the sam the the recording the pornographic recording mm-hmm. is the same woman's voice at the beginning of this song as it is in mm-hmm. the yeah, next song. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, that makes sense. 
Yeah. Oh, real quick, um, to backtrack, I just wrote, uh, for this one, um, clean, rich base under total insanity, very unnerving and always reminds me of the despair video. Um, this is the section of the despair video where it's an autopsy with slides, um, on top with film footage of epileptic children. Ugh, so disturbing. Yeah. I mean, I mean if is, you weren't I mean, sold on that video now, you are. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Now, yeah, yeah. Well, wait, great, great. Didn't you say that in the Butthole Surfers video, they're watching this video in their interview, yeah. the despair video? Yeah, they're, when yeah. they're all sitting like on the bed eating pizza, this this oh, is in God. the background. That's right. That's totally right. That yeah, touch the, and go. The blind eye uh, sees video. all video. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it kind of <laughs> makes sense that they yeah. would have been inspired because they, you know, they, they were doing, you know, this kind of overload video, you know, in the especially in the 80s, you know, the, the Buttholes. Hey, wait, wait uh, I mean, a second. Think, How does Tara feel about um, Tara? Excuse me, feel about buttholes? That's okay. Oh, uh, you know, times of my life. They're my favorite band. Which I, one of your all-time favorite songs? Uh, well, I love Hey. Hey, Hey is my favorite. I just it remember. Is, the, I, I think it's a perfect song, and it makes me feel good. The first, the first podcast I listened to the two that you guys did. Uh, Tara said. I love them buttholes. Oh, that's right. That's true. She does. I do. (laughs) She does. There's always a butthole server CD in the car at any given time. Yeah, it's true. I feel like buttholes are a theme in our life, too, because the first time that I went to Mike's bedroom, the porn noise uh, box was out and I just saw a big old butthole. As as well as uh, a record that you probably would have been a part of. having it come out or at least designing it was the uh, rectal anarchy LP. Oh, that was, bef- that was before my time, but, um, oh, was it? yeah, cause I, I worked at relapse in the early nineties and then in uh, from 2000 to 2005. So that was just before, oh. right in the, right in the middle there. Oh, wow. I, de- well, you, no- I definitely, we, yeah, we, we had that, um, we had that record prominently displayed in the office. Yeah. And I said, Mike, do, do all of your records have buttholes on the cover? Why not? Uh, Answers yes. He said, "You'll sure. find out, I guess." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you you so when you worked just a, a little bit when you worked at at Relapse, were you, you worked there when release was happening as well, right? I mean, were you kind of a part of that or? Um, let's see. So when I worked there initially, it was. I want to say 92 through early 94. And that was right when we got the master for venereology. And then they came up with the re- release imprint. The release logo was put on the Kandiru album that came out at the time, Mersbo and the dead world album. And, um, and then they, then I was gone. They put out like inner war, Atrax more, blah, 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 blah. And then wow. the imprint was still going when I started again in 2000 um, we, I can't remember, we put out a few different releases at that time. And then James Grell started that, um, Desolation House sub label that, um, Bastard Noise and a bunch of stuff is on my, my Angel of Decay CD and so on. And which was, which was crowd control activities and then kind of became Desolation House. Is that correct? Yeah. He still put out stuff as, as crowd control too. It's just the... Um, he just came up with that as a series and it definitely used the aesthetic of, um, stuff he was into in the dark ambient realm as it, when it started anyway, and then it became kind of, 
you know, like there was a noise album on there and stuff. Um, but it was his aesthetic applied to a series that w was put out on relapse. So it had nice packaging, nice design, um, decent distribution, even though the CDs were super limited and so on. Now, do you recall, like, what what was the feeling around the time when venereology, like... I'm like, I, mu so, we must know. I mean, yeah, what, I mean, I guess just what was the, was there backlash against putting it, something like that out? Was there a lot of excitement around it? Like, what was the feeling at the time? What was the vibe around the water cooler? Yeah. Hmm. Um, I, everyone was excited about it because it was like, I think that Matt and Bill uh, knew... The, the two guys that ran relapse at the time, they right. knew that they were taking something that was kind of underground and making it, um, not necessarily like, you know, above ground, but a kid could go to a music land in the mall and buy venereology. If, 100%. Yeah. If, if the buyer at that music land was hip. So... I mean, it was, I mean, obviously we've talked a million times and it was huge. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. I, I always reference Borders because Borders was the one they would always have. Yeah. Masana, the MERS, all the relapse or, you know, all the relapse and release stuff. And it was, it really was, you know, for, especially for people our age, my, you know, myself and Taryn Gray, I mean, it, it, it was the biggest thing in the world because it was above ground because we, that was our, you just being you know, teenager, you know, younger, that, that was just how we found out about it, you know? Because yeah. so we, we didn't have access to a lot of like, yeah. like small record stores or other, other things right. being that Living young. in the suburbs yeah, or whatever, exactly. you know, it's just. We had to go to Best Buy and like dig around and find the weirdest thing that Best Buy and Borders or whatever yeah. had to offer. And it was just such a treat. Yeah. Yeah. It it's, was, it was cool. I mean, it's, it's exciting. It, it, what's funny is that for a minute there, they actually used the same level of advertising budget for like Mersbo that they did for like incantation and amorphous. And, so was coming out. and then, so they, and then they quickly oh, realized shit. that they quickly oh. realized that uh, no matter how much we advertise this, the audience is limited. So um, they, they, yeah. they, quit, they quit doing the big push, I guess. Yeah. Do you recall how many copies they would have pressed? I, I'm going to guess that for, the first pressing of venereology would have been cause they had, they, this is, this was the day when they went through a, a distro, um, chain that was picked up by all of the, like everybody like music land, um, mm -hmm. Best Buy, you name it. And yeah. so they had to, they had to press a certain amount to meet the demands of what they, they, they did the initial order for. So like, for instance, I believe that Dead World the Machine, they pressed like 3,000 of or something like that, maybe 5,000. Oh, wow. But then they got awesome. just like ass loads of returns. And uh, those <laughs> those ended up getting, getting most of them got thrown away, I'm assuming. No. Um, Absolutely amazing album. No. But that was just, that was just how it up. worked. Like I, I, I read an interview with the guy, <laughs> the, the guy from um, Bad Religion where he's talking about, yeah, we were psyched because wh whatever their first like big breakout record was uh, that they it was still on his own label. Um, we shipped like a hundred thousand copies and then we got 99,000 returns. <laughs> right, right, right. So. Yeah. The shipping, it's not exactly yeah. the uh, amount that sold. Great. Right, yeah. Right. So wow. wasteful. I mean, I'm kind of glad that model's gone now. I believe it's gone. And, but, uh, so would it have been probably like 5,000? I, I want to say at least, at least three. Wow. wow. I know for a fact they pressed a thousand of uh, Atrax Morgue Sickness Report because I was talking to Marco I, about that. 
But I um, love that. I love yeah, that. But they were knew, you they there knew for, Burzbo was more popular. Were you there for Japanese American Noise Treaty or no? That was just after I left. Got it. The first time. But I um, got it. Yeah, you know what's a funny story really quick about that? No, yeah, please, please. Please. Yeah, amazing. And I, okay, so supposedly this is true. Uh, Matt Jacobson, um, president of Relapse, was um, a big, is still probably a big fan of Radiohead. And the first yep. time he saw Radiohead, they played in, I believe, in Philadelphia. And he, he ran into Johnny, I can't remember his last name, the guitarist that does the soundtracks yep. and stuff. And Johnny was like, uh, he introduced himself, oh, I'm Matt from Relapse Records. He's like, Relapse Records, you, who put out the Japanese American Noise Treaty? And he's like, yeah. He's, and I'm sh- I shit you not, he told me this. So. Yeah. That is wild. <laughs> get, no, no, wait, wait, no, wait, get ready okay. to go. He goes, I love that compilation. That song, uh, that Taint song, uh, what was the title of that? I can't remember. It's a gagging crazy title. Gagging on Piss. Gagging on Piss. He's like, that, that Gagging on Piss song is quite catchy. <laughs> yes. I love it. I love it. And, I love and then it. what's great is I got to tell Keith that story before he passed away. Oh, oh yeah. wow! And he's like, "Are you kidding?" Yeah, but it's it's true. That's so cool. That's, that's so cool. Great. That that is that's it. Uh, my heart is warmed yes. by that story. Yeah, we have so that poster hanging above our bed. We sleep under it. Every we sleep night. under a Japanese American Oyster <laughs> poster. Yeah, it's true. It makes sense too because it, I saw a video of of Radiohead from around that time and Johnny um, did a harsh noise little bit in the middle of their set like with his pedals and yeah I mean it was like legit like noise noise amazing I love it I love it that's an amazing story Um, so this third track is uh, Macht Schrecken which I believe is German for uh, make you cry Tara came up. Tara found another. Oh, I thought it was power calculations. I don't know where you came up with power calculations. I don't either. Maybe where did, I was where did you come it. up with that? I don't know. Yeah, because mocked uh, is yeah. make and Shrekin is scream. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Weird. I don't know why I thought that. That's Weird. Wild. I kind of like power calculations. I like power though. I think calculations. We should, uh, maybe that's the uh, maybe that's our our uh, the four of ours new project. Uh, Who knows? <laughs> he, he is the operator on his power calculations. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do make you cry yeah. makes total sense yeah, because Mark this Shrek is a, makes that makes way more and sense. This, this is really when to me it's like this is information overload. This track because there's just layers and layers of like it, you. It's so hard to like get it, figure out where everything's coming from, where everything starts, where everything stops. This one's mean. I thought this one was really mean. Yeah. I love it. Oh, it has this sound I often associate with uh, Coil's first twelve-inch "How to Destroy Angels." This uh, ah, it's just this sort of like. It almost sounds like someone like scratching a record at the slowest possible speed. So it's just like a back and forth, like kind of going on (laughs) under it. Oh, that's yeah. Coil used a, a, I think they call him a bull roar, which is like a, you spin it like a bolo in the air. Okay. And it's like, that's what that sound is. Okay. I think all the stuff, all the stuff they used on that, I'm, I'm dorking out now, but, um, all the stuff they used on that recording was, was supposed to be masculine like so like um right 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 ritual music for the accumulation right. of male sexual energy yeah so they actually were were trying to use only masculine s- sounds and a bull roar is it's like basically i think it looks like you guys look it up i, I i'm gonna i'm gonna say it looks like something stupid so never mind <laughs> so edit that out there's something for you to edit out gray <laughs> <laughs> finally 
Yes. Yeah, finally. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, so I wrote for this song, um, right, left tape samples a la TG. Baseline reminds me a, a, a lot of them too. You would be forgiven if you confuse this for TG. Um, love, mm-hmm. love, love the distorted spoken vocals. Um, military scientific audio versus pornography versus TV ads. Hence the information overload. Shocking, shockingly soothing compared to first two tracks. And then I wrote, where the fuck did I write that? Um, oh, uh, I EQ'd the, the, the spoken bit that's really distorted to see if I could understand what he was saying. And, um, it's, it was hard to make out specific words, but in general, it sounds like a psychological diagnosis with medication doses, etc. Does that make sense? Oh, cool. No, yes. The really, the really distorted, yes. distorted spoken voice that comes in. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, heck yeah. This oh, starts wow. and ends with porn. And much like the last track, it's uh, my notes say so not horny. Like it's not <laughs> sexy or presented as sexy in any stretch of the imagination. And uh, I just sort of like that. Like it's it's really a nightmarish track. The overload is is there. Um, and And then... Verbot. Finally, we can dance to SBK. Oh, sure. Oh, good. <laughs> I don't. Fun. I, the, it's so disjointed. That rhythm is so disjointed. And yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Sure. This is sure. This is a dance hit. But boy, <laughs> what a strange dance we'd all be doing. There's a full junk metal drum yeah. kit in addition to the drum yes. machine. Where like, there's got to be like six pieces of junk metal that are hit at different times that give it. Ah, uh, it's so it's everything has such a different sound to it. It's so cool. This is also one that I've just always loved, and I tried to find a translation for the title, but f- forbidden profession seems to be what. Yeah, yeah, what prohibition my, of occupation. Yeah, <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, in an in an interview, an older interview, he did say he would some of the German or whatever is gibberish, mm-hmm. or or at least, and that so it could be a just kind of a. Weird made up version of a word. I, I like pro. I like forbidden profession because that could also refer to like you know the sexual game, right? Forbidden profession. It's yeah, those- I, I said. I said Ravel, uh, Ravel's German gibberish sells it. Oh, yes, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. The it really, really vocals does. are really wild on this one. Uh, he he's he he makes you think he knows how to speak fluent German, but it's gibberish. Totally, truly 100%. does. Yes, and um, I, I like I like these barked vocals. I, I like on some of those first seven inches. There's something more punky about them, mm-hmm. whereas this is more like sinister. And I like these barked vocals. This is, I think, he like got it on this. Yeah, track. I think I heard the seven inches first. Um, in terms of like what we listened to like years yeah, and yeah. years ago, so I always kind of thought of the vocals in that way. But hearing these again, I was like, "Oh yes, like this is so good." Yeah. And then I was also picturing like, can you imagine going to the show because it was li- it sounds live. I don't know, maybe it's not. It, this one is, yeah, because it ends with class. Can this you one, imagine this track walking into a club a and walking and in the, on this and a studio version? Oh, where's there. the studio version? The studio version is on the LP and on my mute CD. But if I listened to, but yesterday, cause I was at work, I listened to a rip of some uh-huh. version. That's, that's the mm-hmm. full album rip that's on YouTube and it's a totally live track with clapping at the end and everything. That's actually funny because 
our CD player literally broke today. That's what. And so I went to put in the CD and it didn't play, which we'd been listening to all week. Yeah. And then, so we actually listened to it. Yes. Off YouTube, and and it was live. I was like, I don't remember. I was like. Huh, I don't remember. Okay, so there you go. No, I guess we, we I was had cool. this, Mike and I had this conversation. I like, like, I don't remember goes, there being a live track. I, I didn't know that this was live. This yeah. sounds live. And then the clapping started, and we were like, I guess it's live. We never noticed. Great, what yeah. is your version? I, I listened to the CD uh, yeah. today, not not the LP, uh, and I have never heard this live version of Bereff for Verbot. Yeah, the, the CD, the, the mute CD from 92, and my normal uh, first pressing normal. Uh, LP both have the studio version, hmm. oh. but it's definitely so it's, the same song they're doing live. They just have more yeah. drums in the live version. There's so many yeah, drums, yeah, so many cool. drums in the live. I wrote, I said, I wrote down. This is a strange version of music. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 odd. It's like if you described it to somebody and then told them to go try and do it. Yeah, and they had never heard it before. It's great. Oh yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I love I, the live I, version. I wrote. Um, in quotes, industrial prototype. Um, this is kind of like what yes. people automatically go, oh, that's what industrial sounds like, you know? And then, yeah. um, okay, so in the studio version, there's a drill that has no effects on it at all, just a mm-hmm. And I wrote last night, I'd like to think they argued about keeping the drill clean like David Gilmore and Roger Waters. <laughs> amazing, amazing. They had to that get an arbitrator great. in, like... Yeah. Maybe a yeah, little yeah, bit yeah. of reverb. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Clean. 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 Dry. Small room. Dry. Um, so that's the end of Ultra Face, and the apparently the end of the side the, the side that Graham Ravel likes. <laughs> and uh, now that we was come the fun side to the hyperface, <laughs> which I think is my favorite section of this record. Uh, probably because it's absolutely miserable. It really is. Ground Zero Infinity Dose is as mean and negative as it gets. It's a mean texture to it. It just, it's, it's very dark. And uh, and you can follow along with the lyrics if you have the CD yes. booklet. You shouldn't be able to, but you can. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 The lyrics are in the CD. Um. Yeah, this, I mean, yeah, the vocals are completely unintelligible. Did you try to EQ these at all just to see if No, what's is, funny is, yeah. so last night I listened to the LP, I had the um, I had the CD booklet sitting next to me, and I literally followed along with the yeah. words. They are unintelligible, um, but when you're, when you're reading along with the, the lyrics, they are 100% there. Like, the lyrics wow. that are there are on the recording. I- I did that today. I, I read along with the lyrics and uh, I love this track. I drew little hearts all over it. Um, <laughs> is, this I, your, is this your favorite track? This is probably my face. See my little heart? She did. She drew hearts on her uh, note and sheet. And then, um, yeah, I I just think that the I, the, I couldn't get over the beat because it's it reminds me of, you know, that heartbeat, but also the sound of like blood pumping through a heart, not like so a heartbeat, like throbbing blood. Uh, and it also sounds like the way it's EQ, it sounds like marching. And I it, there's just something just so um, familiar, but disturbing about it that I, I can't help but love it. I love that, like when you're when you're trying to grasp onto it and it kind of slips away like forgetting a dream and i think this whole track has all of that and and you know the lyrics are just you know dark black uh 
And, and it name draws Bacillus. Man yeah. eats. Man eats. Man eats. Bacillus eats. Host. There you go. Great. <laughs> There's something about this one that's just perfect. Like this piece yeah. is perfect. The fidelity, the mixing of all the different sounds, the the way that synth comes in and is just nasty until the end. The vocals are are fa- just they're just great vocals. Uh, all of the rhythms on this record are simple. This one keeps <laughs> right in right in with that. And there's just all this sort of rattle, scrape, buzz, like junkyard stuff kind of cutting through. It, it's I don't know. It is just a perfect like death industrial power electronics, whatever track from way back when. And, and truly it, it, it captures that, that decomposing of like physicality, you know, like it, like even with the words like fashion to ash is passion to dust um, and just everything melting away. Like it, it just has that just ultimate decomposing feel. And for some reason, like, Maybe it's it's just the type of person I am, but I find it incredibly soothing. Just like like yeah, yeah, everything will die, everything will crumble, and uh, <laughs> it's it's relaxing place. <laughs> yeah, I I wrote, I wrote um, so like I find in general that they achieve something really amazing with the production on this album in general. It's like because when they want something to be clean, it sounds rich and it's detailed and mm-hmm. um not distorted. And then when they want something to be distorted, it's the most fucking distorted thing in existence. It's it's so it's, it's like, it's like, a, yeah, it's like perfect production, rich when they need it to be and fucking totally fucked up when they want it to be. And, um, I said, uh, it's one of the most bass, most distorted bass guitars ever. Uh, <laughs> Dalek vocals, you know, from Dr. Who, if mm-hmm. if vocoders were cheaper and easier to use, there might have been Cylon vocals. Um, I was obsessed with both as a kid. Amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> when did you come to this record? Back uh, in the day. Let's see. I used to go to a, there's a there's a store in Denver called Wax Tracks. And the, the guy that um, ran it was like he knew all about this kind of music and uh, he saw White House live in 1984 in Denver at a slaughterhouse. That's a classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic. uh, And like, so he would tell me about stuff like he, um, so he worked in the part of the store, which no longer exists, that they used to rent videos. So you could rent Despair. You could rent Survival Research Laboratories videos. And, um, and I think- I, I bought the industrial culture handbook. I hadn't bought any SBK out because it was right around when the gray area of mute CDs started coming out. So maybe I had bought, I had bought despair first, but then I watched, I watched this video that I rented from this place on acid the first time I saw it. And, um, and then I got the information overload unit, like within a, within a couple of years of that. Um, but wow. despair was definitely That's the amazing. first one. So what was your, what was your path to get to a point where you're going to rent SBK despair? I mean, what, what, what kind of was your path to get to that point? I'm thinking if I remember right. So mute before they put out the CDs, they put out a compilation that was a video and a CD. Um, Tearing had, off the beats. Yes. Yeah. I still, I okay. still have the VHS tape and it didn't have, it only had one of the, it had the dead calm 
uh, song on it for SBK, not, not the, not anything off of despair. But so I bought that just out of curiosity. Then I found industrial culture handbook, read that, and then started buying throbbing gristle. And then probably because of the artwork in industrial culture handbook, saw this video and uh, the despair video and rented it. That's so. sick. When, when, when did dead world start? Uh, dead world started in 91 and this would have been, this would have been 92, I want to say. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what, so then what was, what, 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 what were you getting into that led into starting dead world? Well, obviously, I mean, God flesh was the big influence, but, um, if you listen to the, the first goofy album, uh, cathedral the first the first cathedral album and uh, especially their demo was like oh yeah one of the biggest influences but then like yeah we were just all over the place on that thing um this godflesh cathedral and then we stole a little bit from from other bands too on that i mean you were you were metal i mean you grew up metal i mean i, I remember a while ago you you sent me a picture of your jean jacket i want to say right. from high school yeah uh, where did you draw the eddie on it or someone else no 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 uh what was it again so um okay that was my jean jacket from middle school and we had we had these two airbrushing guys that that worked out of the mall uh the mall right by where the batman massacre happened and one guy was rad and he looked like he looked like a hippie and everyone was like okay you got to get that guy to do it don't get the other guy to do it he's not as good so i i got the right guy and I brought him my LP of Number of the Beast, and in the one side of the label, um, the inner label is um, is like Eddie's head in a shadow, and so I had him paint it, and he painted it better than the original, and I still have the jacket. And um, but I, my brother got me into Iron Maiden it's, when I was ten. It's so, so good. Yeah, you used to, a few years That's ago amazing. you sent me a picture. For you, the path was kind of metal into industrial. That was kind of like your path, I guess your your musical path. Yeah, like if if I'm remembering right, it was, you know, heavy metal, um, mostly Iron Maiden, and then into speed metal, and then it was, uh, I got into hardcore and so on, and then um, Napalm Death, Carcass, blah blah blah, and right around that time is right when the Grind Crusher LP came out on Earache, and that had the first Godflesh right. song on it, and someone's like, oh, it's the original, it's the guy from Side A. The guitarist right, from side they, A of yeah. Scum, Napalm Death Scum. Yep. And so I was like, I got I got the tape for my birthday of Godflesh Street Cleaner and kind of became obsessed with it. And that, um, like I, and I had always been interested in soundtracks from like horror movies and, and sci-fi movies and TV shows. And so it all just kind of gelled. And then Justin's like name drops of like bands and, like he used to talk about Thriving Gristle a lot. Like he said, his favorite bands were Thriving Gristle, Killing Joke, and Black Sabbath. And so, um, I bought Killing Joke because of him, and I, I got into uh, White House and Thriving Gristle because of him. So totally. Wow. I mean, it, it, I mean, Godflesh mm-hmm. is. It seems to me you were just. It's the perfect kind of bridge, you know, and especially the stuff that he was. You know, you know, he would say. I think he said he saw White House when he was like. 13 or some crazy you know super super young so i think that's a what a cool what a perfect time it's just like you were just right there i mean it, yeah. you were just you were just primed for it oh that's sick yeah, I it, love was, that. it was it was pretty exciting because it like i actually was starting to get into stuff right as like so scum had just come out 
and I was getting into more and more of that that type stuff. I used to tape trade and get the underground shit. That's how I first heard like uh, the band that became Entombed and uh, Bolt Thrower before they got signed. Like I um, sick, and uh, and then I bought from enslavement to obliteration napalm death like the day it came out and it was just like everything from that point on just like exploded it was like really crazy hell yeah (laughs) next thing you knew next thing you knew cannibal corpse is in a is in a feature hollywood movie with jim carrey it's like pretty crazy so amazing that's right so amazing (laughs) there's there's videos there's videos on youtube of him talking about death metal on like arsenio hall by the way (laughs) yeah he was he was (laughs) genuinely a fan Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, yeah and he does he does an imitation of the vocals and all that it's pretty great because i think he even i read a thing where he even like he had a couple songs that he like he he like requested a couple different songs that he he was like giving them options to do and like they were like that's crazy well, he actually knows, like he knew, he knew the this, this stuff. I wish he would That's have picked amazing. a better band than Cannibal Corpse, but it's, you know, you, beggars Uh-oh. can't be choosers, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but man, back to the old information overload unit, we come to. The, this podcast is an information overload unit. But you know what? This <laughs> yeah. is amazing. We, when we have someone like Jonathan Candy on our podcast. We are not going to let you go without getting all this stuff. Uh from you so we no, are absolutely. Arguably, We've been... arguably you could take all this like um ancillary stuff and edit yeah. it together and have that be a separate like you could put it on See, Patreon we, we basically you don't realize we tricked you into having uh a full episode just on you 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 thought we was just going to be spk we've tricked you though <laughs> it's a big trick so uh <laughs> stamheim torture comer what is this and what does this translate to like a, a tribal home torture chamber? Tribal home torture chamber. Is that what everybody else had? Now I'm doubting myself. Uh, I, I got a torture I, chamber, yes. Try. Yeah. Uh, I don't know Stamheim, but torture, torture commerce, torture chamber. Which yep. was pre-Jonathan's pre-death battle band, correct? What's up? Torture chamber? Torture chamber. Yeah. yeah. And that is what led into death battle? Um. Yes. Yep. That's cool. Um I was I wanted to do more like power electronics and I uh for some reason I couldn't get my head around how to do it and uh, when it when torture chamber was happening and so um I worked it out by the time I started doing death pile obviously. But the first you, you, the first death pile tape is like half power electronics half like bad imitation of um cold meat industry stuff so <laughs> random acts of cruelty on uh, bloodlust? Yes. Hell yeah. But this track, this is a cold clinical track. That, that's what I came away from it with. It's a downer. Yeah, I, I said, uh, I said <laughs> this kick sounds fantastic on my subwoofers. Um, I think I think it's genius that they don't distort the drum machine on that track. If you, if you turn down a bit of the distortion, this could be Rima Rima. Yeah, I, I also like that the Drum machine's really mm-hmm. not distorted because it adds this very strange layer. And the uh, rhythm really uh, builds to it. up too. It sort of starts to, you know, adding more instrumentation and whatnot to it as it as it goes. And uh, man, it's it's so slow. And there's those sort of stabs that I would normally assume would come from like a a string synth or something with like a horn sound on it that's been distorted, but. I don't think that was in the arsenal then, so I'm not really sure what those kind of weird blasts are. I mean, I guess it's the the EMS AKS. 
that's that's doing that. But I I really those sounds are really good and those those spoken vocals and that that perfect magical feedback that like cuts out at the right moment and ends properly and like breaks up right when you want it to. It's, it's really masterful. Yeah. Absolute um, collage. Yeah. I, I noticed too, like I was looking at, um, the first album on Discogs and I, I didn't know until yesterday that the first edition comes with a zine, um, yes. of collages and actually collaged throughout the booklet are some of the lyrics that are used in this song. Ooh. They, they, keep repeating, they keep rep- repeating certain mm-hmm. lines over and over. They're like on multiple pages in the, in the uh, booklet. It's yeah, it's so good. And and you kind of said, uh, I can't remember which one you said, I think it was, uh, Bert, 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 Bert uh, the, the fourth, <laughs> the fourth track. I think it was when you were saying like, you know, this isn't, you know, industrial. This is kind of like, you know, the, uh, you know, when, when someone thinks of industrial, this is it this, this track also to me gave me that. It's like feeling. quintessential industrial. That, that, and it's that, yeah. that just like, yeah, again, it's that stabby delayed, you know, shards that come in. Um, yeah. It, it, it's so, I, I love it, this. And track. it's tough. You know what there I mean? Like, like tough, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like it, it is not just like intimidating, alienating, but there's a t- there's a good toughness to it. Definitely, like a good dose of fear in the music. There's this sort of background worrying in this song that it's uh, especially once it starts coming to its close. That's very combined with the drums. It feels very krautrock inspired, and I know that that was mm-hmm. one of the things that they were interested in and listening to. Back then, uh, and, and took inspiration from, but it's you can actually hear it on this track for the first time. I feel like is like this this motoric kraut vibe and the sort of cosmic sounds in the background thing. On yeah, this track. The, the the first time I heard the first Cluster album, I was instantly like, I have to think that all those road industrial guys had this record. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it yeah. just remind, it just was very reminiscent of it. And then we come to a uh, retard or retard. One time I was in a, I was in a uh, college biology class and we were talking about, um, I don't know, mental illness or whatever. And, uh, I said the word retarded out loud in this big auditorium and the, the teacher didn't, didn't raise an eyebrow. Cause this is like 90, 95, something like that. Right. And this girl raises her hands hand and is like, you can't use that word. And the teacher just looks at her and goes, no, that is, that is the correct term. Wow. You can't use wow. it now, but in 1995 no. you, you could use it. Yes. Yeah. And especially, it was in and, books then. Yeah, yeah. Especially in 1978 or whenever this yes. was it's, written. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a clinical, it's a clinical term yeah. that has been yeah. made. It's been made into pejorative. So correct. correct. Exactly. There's and, a, and, in, yeah, go ahead. in this uh, article, a cry from the sanitarium about SBK, there's a, an interesting tidbit that's a SPK had no interest in acting as a loyal opposition to mainstream media's presentation of deviants, serial killers, the mad tyrants, but would instead strive to offer a voice to the majority of deviants, such as mental patients who generally lived and died unnamed and unheard by focusing on these individuals instead of star deviants, such as Charles Manson, SPK would expose the false dichotomy between deviant and normal. So I think that applies in, in a lot of these tracks of sort of, what they're trying to convey and and what they're trying to do is not glorify uh, or 
look down upon any sort of illness, disability or anything, but just sort of draw the attention away from the the general mainstream portrayal of those things and offer well, a, a real insight to them. I have a really good quote as well that goes along those lines. Um, and that is that uh, normality is just a myth to keep diversity within its bounds. And uh, interest in physically and mentally deviant victims is neither sensationalism nor normalization. It's diversification simply. That's, that's in this. In that's CD in the same book here Isn't too. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> I think what, that's what, great. What's, what's interesting though is like both those quotes are are um, appropriate. But then when I'm thinking about it, when you use when you say retarded, especially um, before now, it was mm -hmm. clinical. But I guess when you say retard retard that is always pejorative and always has been so it's interesting yeah. that they purposefully yeah, used true. that term to describe something that they're not necessarily um uh you know like they're not trying to insult anybody right right and yes. and, and, and in an interview graham said that this track was inspired by a patient in the mental hospital who had murdered somebody and they they had murdered somebody and had no reason didn't give a reason had no didn't know why they had murdered somebody and was were you know was put in a mental hospital after that you know for life basically mm -hmm. and he was saying it's it's kind of this no win situation that was interesting to him you know it was you know it, whether if it was a mental thing can it be fixed it, or, or 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 is that even the goal and and he would even say in interviews too that if you asked him a question to one day, he'd give you an answer. And the next day it might be a completely different answer. Yeah. I completely relate to that. And I don't even do it on purpose. Sometimes I think I just, it's just the way my brain works sometimes. And I, and I, I, I really, I like the way he said that. But context and perspective are always changing. So I'm sure it's the same with us. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even in the liner notes that are in the CD that were originally published in that, um, research industrial culture handbook, it seems like they have intention but are also trying to be purposefully confusing. So which I, it's, it's all part of their, their outlook, I guess. I mean, even having the different names, you know, it was operator and, and yeah. there was times it was, uh, EMS, a or EMS, AKS, right. That's, he went by that. He, he went by oblivion, I think was another name. They all had different yeah. names and tone generator. Going. The yeah. same, uh, yeah. the same book also has a, a little bit on that, that they were very concerned with labels for people and behavior. They adopted pseudonyms. The nurse became EMS AKS after his brand of synthesizer and the patient adopted a chemicalization of his birth name, Nihil. At times they refused to answer questions about their origins or gave disinformation. The band was called SPK, but what those letters stood for would change with each project as would their pseudonyms. And then uh, a little bit later on, it says, uh, Deliberately false information about the band and its members was sprinkled into its literature and interviews. So very yeah, good. it was it, purposeful. It was to be it was to be anti-pop, basically. Yeah. Right? And and we love things that allow you to come to your own conclusion. Like I mean, and that's what's so engaging about this is you can come to it at different points in your life, even and and get a different um, perspective on it and feel differently about every track and topic that's covered. Yeah. Um, I, I, um, I said, love this song. I listened to it, uh, too many times when I first got an iPod, I like just had only a handful <laughs> of songs. In there. The, the, the clunking sound, if you know what I mean. Oh yeah. Um, I know exactly I, what you mean. I, I figured out, I think it's a slowed down cassette deck. Fast forward, rewind, stop, pause, repeat. 
slowed down. Oh, that makes. I was thinking I couldn't figure out what I thought the hell it was, was a walkie-talkie, but that yeah, makes my, more my sense. F- I figured it out because my first tape deck sounded just like that, except obviously like a lot higher pitch. I was thinking yeah. of like an uh, an eight millimeter projector or something, so along the same lines of something very very uh, mm-hmm. physical, tactile controls yeah. to engage motors uh, on it. And you can you hear the motor and the grinding, this like alarm buzz, uh, some sort of vocals on tape or, or sample on tape. But there's also, like Tara said, there's there's walkie talkie or or radio uh, conversational samples that don't feel quite right or like they go together on this one. And the mood of this one is so good because that that loop of the the turning on of the machine, that clunking just goes through the whole thing. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's such a conventional thing, but it sounds unsettling and and clinical and creepy. Yeah, those muffled layers of transmissions is mm. yeah. It's so mm. it, it. This is like the eeriest track I think on the record. I think eerie was what was the word that kept coming to my mind when I was listening to this. Yeah, I I, I wrote that it, the song is a warning. And after that, though, we have epilept convulse, and this is one of my favorite first like measures of a song or intros of a song, whatever you want to call it, where it starts off kilter rhythm. It starts with the drum machine and there's an inordinately long pause. And then the synth and vocals come in and it's, it like hits so hard. It one, Mm -hmm. like one pass of the rhythm. And then you're sort of sitting there full of tension, waiting for something to happen. And when it happens, it's, it's so killer. Like it, it just grabs me the way this one starts. Yeah, I, I wrote, um, I bet New Romantics da- danced to this. Uh, <laughs> per- it's perfectly constructed. It hurts my head to think how they did it, which probably yeah. means it was um, spontaneous. And then I wrote, where did I write that? Um, For sorry, those who can't see, Jonathan's got like, 14 pages of handwritten notes. It's amazing. <laughs> I, They're I, great I, and we need I, them. I overloaded <laughs> myself with information. Where are we? Oh, here it is. Um, okay. Audio of plane crash witness equals bad fucking vibes. Uh, plane crashes are one of the most depressing things to think about. Uh, I suggest everybody try to read the cover of Big Black's Sound of Impact LP sometime. If they want to get really bummed out, it, it is there's there's it is only a bummer. I, I agree with mm-hmm. that. It's 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 a horrible, haunting bummer to think about, and they just they just throw it right at you, and here we are. It's the shortest and, track on the record, but it feels yeah. as long as any of the four or five minute cuts. Yeah, um, it's Jonathan, a banger. We mentioned the uh, the first Death Pile tape came out on Bloodlust, and Mark is obviously we someone that the three of us you know. We always we always talk about our love of intrinsic action and, and bloody mind and stuff like that. When did you uh when did you come across Mark? When did you guys meet up? What was how did that go? Uh, I'm pretty sure what happened was that um Bill and Matt used to go up to New York. Um this is ninety two, ninety three, something like that, when I worked at um the relapse house. They used to go up to New York and buy records and they probably went to Bleaker Bob's and Mark Solotroff was working at the counter and um he must have seen what they're buying and gave them like an intrinsic action seven inch or something or a tape and was like, Hey, if you guys want to distribute some of my stuff, you can. And they actually did. They there's early, um, 
early uh, distro flyers and stuff that have like all the old like Final Solution and um, Intrinsic Action and all that stuff. And uh, so then we, I can't remember, I think it was Bill tried to arrange that Dead World would tour with White House because Dead World, White House liked Dead World supposedly, or William Bennett did. And um, which is shocking because all that was out publicly was that Collusion album, which I think is just horrible, but um, I guess he liked it. And so we tried to arrange for that to happen. <clears throat> all that ended up happening was we played one show in, um, in New York that was kind of a fiasco, but, um, but it was, it was cool. Like, um, I got to meet Sotos for the first time and, um, William Bennett. And the main thing was that, uh, made it worthwhile is that was that show that, um, I saw intrinsic action. Um, and it was like still one of my all-time favorite concerts he had like four Hell guys yeah. playing synthesizer everything oh, that sounds amazing he they had it was like he had fans and like the fans they were all wearing the same they were all wearing similar outfits <laughs> like um and uh and what the craziest thing was like i had he had given me a copy of the tesco um sato electronics record mm -hmm. and so i listened to it quite a bit and i go and see him and they sound exactly the same yeah and yeah, then, yeah. And then what he had them do, the, the synth guys do, is he would have them transition from one patch to the other. So it was like a everybody was smoothly transitioning into the patch for the next song. And it was like one of the coolest things I've ever heard in my life. So, wow. so Even sick. the first time I saw Bloody Minded, which was in, I think, 2003, they, they had the notebooks with the settings for each song in like a spiral notebook hand hand drawn like <laughs> representation of an MC202 synthesizer and so for each song it would just be frantically dialing the the patch for the next thing while Mark was doing sort of a stage banter introducing the song which is one of my favorite parts of bloody minded shows giving a little history of the song the lyrics what it's yeah. about it's it's very you know there's like the kiss stage banter and then the fugazi stage banter and stuff if there were an album of just bloody minded stage banter i would listen to it all the time wow somebody, <laughs> that'd be great somebody mark would hate that but somebody should do it <laughs> <laughs> and we finished this album off with some acid death some cold, broken acid death. Cold-blooded, cold-broken acid death. <laughs> are you are you ready for my my really brief notes on this one? Okay. Yes. Uh -huh. yep. I have very brief notes too, actually. They they are brighter death than. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, and actually, I and I and I did translate. Or not translate, but I like EQ'd the uh, vocals so I could hear what the girl is saying. So I wrote it yeah. down if you guys want to hear that. Please, Please I would yes, love to hear it. go. It's, um, it's definitely okay. patient tapes, right? Yeah. So it's it's uh, the first line is kind of garbled, but the the gist of it, the, the second line begins. Uh, Later on, I went to the doctor and he told me I was pregnant because I didn't want any baby. I injected acid into my stomach. Blood and fetus came out about a minute after. <gasps> Actually, it was twins. Oh. oh my God! Oh, wow. Well, that uh, that makes the title a oh little more poignant, God. doesn't it? That is so <laughs> evil. I think the brighter death now comparison is a hundred percent correct. It's wow. it's also got that sort of MB analog delay to infinity sound on that low yeah. drone to it, 
And after that sample, there's the other sample that comes in with the "It's sick, it's sick." <laughs> and I always remember that from from this. Yeah, track. yeah. He's. I, I tried to interpret that. It, the "It's sick" is clear, but I can't tell if he's saying "I'm gonna die" or "I might have died." <laughs> I can't tell. Yeah, can't tell either. It seems like "I'm gonna die" is more the right vibe. Wow, because that's it, how we all feel at the end of this record. I mean, yes. it, uh, yeah, yes. and, and like that. Uh huh. I, I like the MB uh, comparison, Greg. I didn't. When you said that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I I didn't, when I was listening to it, I didn't, you know, pick up on that. But when you said, I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. It has this, like, fire, slowly growing, rising feel. And it is that kind of muted sound that I associate with MB. And this is very atmospheric, especially yeah. this this final it's track. It's the most atmospheric yeah, track absolutely. on absolutely. That's the thing is, like, this record isn't incredibly atmospheric. There is a lot of, it is kind of cold and clinical. This track though is atmospheric. Yeah, it doesn't even sound soundtracky like it, but yeah. but this track does. But from a production standpoint, like I made a lot of notes relating to production stuff on here because that's what I always do. I tend to write down like sort of the literal sounds and mm-hmm. me analyzing what this is. And the sort of emotive response comes second for me when I'm writing my notes a lot. I'm sure anyone listening to this knows I go for the nerd aspect of it, not the like music fan you know whatever a, a lot that. of the times um and so there's a lot of really strange production stuff and a lot of the sounds are you know there's like jonathan was saying when they want it clean it's clean when they want it dirty it's dirty when they want it muddy it's so muddy you can't barely tell what it is and but there's also like a lot of really light reverbs really uh, slightly modulated delays all these things that give it an off kilter and off putting vibe so even when you're listening to something like a drum machine that drum machine has a slight modulation on whatever analog delay thing they've got on it or early digital delay and so it's it's reflections are slightly shifting so even if it feels like it's on time the reflections of it the repeats of the delay are not quite on time and so it still makes it feel uneasy even when it's regimented to a rhythm and i think that that's a really cool thing about this is that like either it's full frontal attack like mock strecken or something where you are it's being overloaded or it's these subtle tracks with these really nuanced production techniques that just make it feel slightly awry and never quite proper and it's a it's a really cool i mean 1981 you know for for a record of this magnitude well, yeah, what's what's crazy, speaking of the production, is that recorded 79 and 80 in a squat in London, and it was engineered by Graham Ravel's brother, who was, uh, what was his name? Uh, Mr. Clean. Oh, that's his brother? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that's his brother. I don't think nice. I realized that. But how do, how do they get such fantastic uh, quality recording in, in a squat? Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming that's that. Uh, I'm assuming it's what you're seeing at the beginning of Despair when they're like, it's like their like rehearsal recording space. You know, right, I haven't right. watched it in a minute. I'm gonna throw it right back on. I need to. I need to watch that video again. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I watched it last night. Like not all of it, but the 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 bits that were relevant. And um, what sucks is that DVD. They 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 really messed up. They should have just. They should have done like a, a version with all the fancy editing and like censoring of the stuff they thought was too nasty, yeah. but then mm-hmm. either had an Easter egg of the original VHS rip or something. I don't know, but it's a, it's a, it's one, just too bad. One thing I always thought was because I only had a bootleg copy of it for years and years, you know, a friend dubbed me a copy of this VHS and it's, it was shot off of a TV. Yeah. 
And, and that's something I, I have I have stole so much for all my video artists. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I realized when Great the DVD idea. came out, I'm like, oh, finally, I'll see it not shot off a TV. No, the video, nope. the, the DVD <laughs> is how it is from the yeah, shot yeah, yeah. off the TV thing. It's so cool. <laughs> and it's like, oh, this is how it was intended is like to have the oversaturation overload of colors and then whatever cheap, you know, video Sansui, whatever kind of, you know, videonics thing they were using on it to do the color blocking chroma key stuff to like this whole part's orange. Here's a diagonal fade, you know, weird kind of 80s video effects on it. Yeah, they were, they were, it's like analog uh, filtered uh, video effects because yeah. it was the sound actually going through. You can see it moving. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's with, wow. with the beat and all really that. awesome. So, so well, what, it's a what's test- it? Go ahead. I was gonna. I was just gonna say it's a testament to working with what you got. Like, like clearly they made everything that they had in their space work for them, and and used it for their sound. But the same with the video. Yeah. Yeah. What What's interesting is that that Graham Ravel was a like a he was very much into contemporary art art in general, and the shooting off of a TV uh, um, was kind of it was commonly used by video artists at the time it was just called rescanning. And, um, I think it was a way, it was also a way to like make editing easier. Uh, but the aesthetic also goes to the whole like anti-pop thing. It doesn't look Mm -hmm. polished. It looks more distorted. Um, it's not, this isn't something that's going to be shown on BBC. It's, this is uglier and dirtier and uh, on purpose. Jonathan, you did a project, uh, utilizing something very similar with your scan lines pieces, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've used, um, stuff off of cathode ray TVs a lot in my art. Um, some of it I'm photographing off TVs. When you look at the, when you actually, when you look at my anomalous, uh, cinema website, all of that is, I do, I do, uh, an image for each post and it's very, it's like, I took, <laughs> it's, it's ironic cause I didn't think about it since we're talking about SBK, but <clears throat> it's a photograph off of a, uh, cathode ray TV. And then on top of it is a high contrast blown out image from the movie, high contrast blown out like document one and, totally. uh, photographed off the TV, like some of their, some of their, uh, artwork was too. And then Godflesh did that. And, and, uh, other, other people driving gristle. Yeah. A lot of these techniques are still so relevant and interesting for creating art more than like Doing something in Photoshop, snapping a digital still from a Blu-ray, like there's a place for that certainly, but a, a photograph off a TV and a copier—it's uh, not just nostalgia. It, ha- it it lends a certain atmosphere to things that's impossible to get in sort of the all digital age. Yeah, I mean, p- part of it for me is like it's um, you get an effect from it, but then also I know that people like you, um, you guys, you see that and instantly think, Oh, like despair or like an old mm-hmm. TG video or something. So it's a connection between, uh, music I'm interested in that probably informed my art and then put into my art now. So it's, um, just kind of like feeds around in a loop. Hell yeah. And, and I, you know, I think, I don't know if we've mentioned it or mentioned it enough, but in addition to all the incredible music projects that Jonathan does, he is an incredible visual artist as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll, of course, uh, provide links to uh, so everyone can see that. He's put out some amazing zines um, that, I don't know, are any of those still available? or, or? Um, There's there's one that's on my, on my website for sale that's um, called Ten Faces of Us, and 
There's an older one that's a little bit more expensive. It's those uh, composite collages. Yeah, yeah, again, yeah. another reference to old like SPK throbbing gristle um, White House artwork. You know, blown out high contrast stuff that we love so much. Love oh it. yeah. And uh, as we always like to do, also, uh, is there you got any, anything coming up? Anything new that you want people to know about? Of course, one actually one project I don't remember if we mentioned is some uh, project you. Uh, do a Solotroph as well as uh, former guest in front of the podcast, David Reed, uh, Nightmares. That is a new, new, new tape and uh, book out. Yeah. So everyone yeah, that, go check that, that out. Yeah, that's um, it's out there. Just look, man. Heck yeah! Is any, any anything else new that is coming or out that you want people to know about? No, I mean it's like if people if people look at my um my Instagram that's connected to my my art website, it shows you what I'm working on now. Um, and, uh, I'm not, I'm kind of on pause for music recording right now. I was slated to play a show, um, right when this coronavirus thing happens, I was going to do a, a power electronics version of a Joni Mitchell song Wow! <laughs> and, uh, it, it didn't, I, I'm saving it for next time I do a show. So okay, it'll awesome. happen someday. Keep us updated um, on I, that. I do have some final thoughts about the album so we'd love please, to hear please. Please. yeah we're not let's done hear you out. Yeah, okay. yeah yeah no no yeah i just wanted to make sure we get all that in but please give i mean us if your... you guys if you guys want to keep talking about me that's fine but like, <laughs> you know. um should i just go yeah, please yes yeah, please. please we must know these thoughts okay so i said um Oh, I'm, well, I'm pissed I don't have a, a version of the LP that has that document one. When I saw that, my eyeballs pretty much hit the ceiling. Um, okay, so at the end of that DVD, there's um, an interview with Tone Generator from the band. And to put the album in context, I, I wrote down some of what he said talking specifically about information overload unit, which I never realized it until I abbreviated here is IOU. IOU. Yeah. Um, he said, uh, and I quote, we were talking about a new dark age that was going to be created by the abundance of information and the tendency towards specialization in certain fields. It's very difficult to become a Renaissance man. One is not able to cut across different disciplines these days because of the uh, degree of specialization. We're bombarded by information. We're bombarded by commercialization of everything. And then um, I read something where, where Ravel was talking about this album briefly, and he said um, what he said made me think layering of confrontational material to make you uh, feel temporary insanity audio LSD of the bad trip variety. And, <laughs> and then, um, one final thought was, um, this is a little pretentious, I guess, but I don't care. The, I'm an artist, so I can't help but think about these things in like a conceptual concept or a conceptual, uh, context. I said, uh, this album is almost a true work of contemporary art. I mean, it could almost stand up to a formal critical analysis since it's not in quotes, not quite a work of art. It's merely one of the best albums ever recorded, regardless of genre. And also if, if they would have purposefully made it a work of contemporary art, as opposed to a, I don't know what you call this, a post-punk album, it, it wouldn't have been as good because they would have mm -hmm. compromised the, the spontaneous creative, um, energy of it by like purposefully gearing it to be art. 
Dude, I love that. Yeah. And that's kind all of I got. That's all yeah, I, got. I mean, I think yeah. you kind of summed yeah, it up. I, I think that we can a, end it on that one. <laughs> I think we can end it on that one. Jonathan, thank you so much for being a part of this. I yes. mean, obviously, you know, we all go back, you know, a long way. It's 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 fun to get to talk to you. It's fun to get to see you through this yes. technology that SPK was warning us about, you know, 40 years ago. Yeah, I mean, think about that. Think, put that in your brain and smoke it. Like, yeah, nineteen eighty information overload unit. Nineteen ninety two, they put out the liner notes that have all this stuff about we're bombarded by information. Two thousand seven tone generators talking about bombarded by information, Mm -hmm. and now it's like, (laughs) it's like, it's it's the the degree at which we're being bombarded by information is unprecedented. And uh, oh shit. I did have one more thing. Oh yeah, I, I was gonna say it seems like he he navigated it well. Like it's it's absolutely like um, just fascinating to me that this is about anti commodification and and you know moving past that that capitalistic tendency towards music and art. Yeah, and yet and yet, how does he make a living? It's by making soundtracks for the most like commodified commercial like movies um, that have that that the huge engine behind them. So clearly he has um, an understanding of how to navigate that system. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I saw an interview with him where, where he uh, revels like when he got his first like big gig doing uh, a soundtrack he's like oh fuck like i i have to feed my family i can't fuck this yeah. up yeah 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 so, but he also exactly. says so the, the things like it's over he yeah. also says things though like it's not that hard <laughs> before we did the call i was reading trying to read these liner notes that were in the um the mute cd yeah. booklet which i consider mostly to be like sort of i t- i tune out this kind of writing in general but one line that jumped out at me under um, on the first page under complexity of information, it says what appears today to be either a noise wall or a non impenetrable foreign signal will in five years be considered simplistic familiar. Hell yes. Tara wrote that quote down as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Read a lot. It's, Love it. It's, it's incredible. Wow. Jonathan, man, this was so awesome. Thank you so much. This was so awesome. Thank you. No, it's, it's been fun. And thank you for asking me. It's, um, you know, this, this album is special to me and you guys are special to me. So well, this all you're, works out good. you're special oh, to us. And no matter how, so. no matter how self depreciating you'll be about your music, the three of us feel yep. completely the opposite. So we will, we, uh, we will always fly the flag of all music made by Jonathan Kennedy. Absolutely. So. Yeah. So we got to do it. We got to do a con uh, hive yes. mind, uh, we'll, Jonathan we'll Kennedy <laughs> show sometime. There you go. I think Absolutely. I, I, you know, someday in this, in this dystopian future, we're going to make it happen. You've been listening to noise extra noise. Extra is brought to you by Chondritic sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years by Verdant weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices. And by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.